Hey, uh, good morning. It's a joy for me to be with you all here today. And um, my wife, Carla, and I came up uh, Friday and have enjoyed uh, yesterday here in the area. And then a joy to uh, worship with you here today. My wife, Carla's here. I'm not sure where she's at. Uh, back here, just stand up if you would, Carla, real quick. And uh, she'll be back at the uh, table. Yep. We've been married 38 years. I know that because I heard her say it the other night at dinner, and um, <laughs> I remembered. And we have three adult kids, uh, two married and uh, one single, um, and then one grandchild and one on the way. Uh, she'll be back at the table, and I'll be back there too, some after the service. There's stuff back there. Feel free to go pick it up if you'd like to. There's a magazine back there, and um, this is a magazine that uh, you can subscribe to that is put up by Sports Spectrum. They do it like four times a year, cover athletes who are Christians in all sports. It's really a wonderful magazine to get to, uh, to get. There's a website for it. This is a special edition we did last year for baseball. And so five Detroit Tigers are featured in there. And uh, there's a little gospel explanation on the back page. And then athletes, uh, b- ball players from other teams too, Pirates, Cardinals, and uh, some others. Any uh, Red Sox fans here? Anyone? Be an altar call later for you, get right with God, and um, no, that's not true. But uh, take one of those if you'd like. There's a card back there that features just tigers and some things about their lives, and so, and there are other things uh, there too. So really, feel free to pick up uh, what you'd like to back there. I do thank your church for your partnership with us in ministry, uh, and I always like to give just a little update before we open up the Word of God, so I'll do that today. Brought some photos I'll show you here in just a moment. But really appreciate so much uh, your pastor, Jeff, uh, his wife, Denise, and then the wonderful staff here. We always feel welcome and enjoy their friendship and uh, partnership in ministry, and then your prayers and uh, financial support uh, for us as well. Um, anyone uh, have today something uh, on that has the Nike logo? Anybody? Stand up. Stand up if you have it. If you get something that has Nike on, stand up. Okay? Oh, good. A bunch of guys. Well, I can only give one thing to one of you. Okay? So here's how I determined it would be the youngest. Okay? So you old guys sit down. Uh, He sat right down. I like that. So the youngest guy here. uh, How old are you? Ten? Do you have ID on you? Can I uh, check it out? How old are you? Who's the youngest back there? So, well, hey, that counts. What's your birth date? March 29th, what's yours? <laughs> okay, that's why you're in church today. You're going to be on. God, appreciate that. So, come on up. What's your name? I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. Thomas, come on up. Where's your Nike stuff? It's not on your underwear or something like that, is it? Okay, right there. Good, man. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk about Nike, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Thomas, are you a baseball fan? Uh, you don't have to be. That's okay. Uh, I brought an autographed baseball for you. Would you like one? Okay. And uh, there's two Tigers that I brought. One, uh, do you have a preference which one you get? One is signed by... Daniel Stump, a pitcher, and the other by John Hicks, a catcher. Do you have a preference? 
you got to make a decision. i got a message to get to here at some point. So, The catcher, John Hicks. There you go, buddy. Hey, give Thomas a hand, would you? And we're going to talk about the Nike symbol here in just a moment. I bet most of us have had something now or in the past that has that Nike logo on it. Do you know that's a Bible word? And we're going to look at that here in a few moments. Let me show you a couple of pictures that I brought. Uh, just to kind of give you an update, this first one was taken uh, this summer at the baseball all-star game. And uh, you probably didn't see this, but someone captured this on a TV feed, and I really liked it. These are, at, the, at a regular baseball game, there's four umpires. At a postseason game or the all-star game, they have six. And so here are the six umpires at this year's all-star game. The crew chief uh, is a guy named Ted Barrett. Uh, Ted is a brother in Christ, a dear Christian man. Uh, Ted uh, gets his gr crew together if they want to, no one has to, and they pray before the first pitch. And that's the crew at the All-Star game praying right before the game started. And if you watch a game where Ted's crew is at or some other crews, you'll see these guys uh, doing that. Ted is a former amateur boxer. He used to spar with Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield back in the day. Ted is an ordained minister. And so if Ted says you're out, just go sit down. You're out. Can't argue with Ted. But uh, Ted and the other umps have a real ministry of sharing God's word uh, with the umpires. Uh, in the offseason, they do a retreat for major league and minor league umpires that want to go to it. And so these are some of the guys that we have the privilege to work with on Sunday mornings, when we do chapel at the ballpark, one of the groups we'll meet with are the umpires. Uh, and then I thought I would bring a few photos of some Tigers who uh, we've had the chance to minister to, who are uh, no longer active playing with the Tigers, and uh, kind of give you an idea where they're at now. Uh, we don't let them go. Just because chapel ends and their career ends, playing-wise, we still go on having a ministry with them. And so here's uh, Donnie Kelly. How many remember Donnie? Raise your hand if you remember Donnie as a player. And so Donnie uh, just got a new job. Uh, Donnie is now the first base coach for the Houston Astros. And so a guy that uh, grew in his faith here in Detroit uh, through our ministry and other ministries will now go on and have a chance to impact younger kids and other guys. Some guys he played with here in Detroit are now with Houston and have a ministry uh, to those uh, people there in the game. Last uh, November, this past November, I went down to Pittsburgh, that's where Donnie's from, and Donnie invited me down to speak with him to a group of about 250 men from his church and a couple other churches. And so guys like that, when they get out of baseball, we don't forget about them. Uh, they go down there, uh, they go back to their homes, and we really encourage men, get involved in your church, your community, uh, and make a difference, and Donnie's one of those guys uh, doing that. The next guy here, uh, many of you remember Todd Jones. Uh, Todd was our closer. How many remember Todd? And, uh, and so Todd is uh, retired from the game of baseball, lives in uh, the Birmingham, Alabama area, has two kids that are now reaching adulthood. And uh, Todd, when he got out of baseball, uh, went on to uh, seminary courses. And Todd now is very active in speaking in the area where he lives and sharing his faith uh, in churches and really uh, some inner city ministries uh, in the Birmingham, Alabama area. And then uh, you may remember uh, Mike Maroth. I'm going back further now. How many remember Mike? Okay, fewer hands go up. 
And, uh, and so Mike was a pitcher with us. Mike just got a new job as the pitching coach for the AAA team for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, they're in Gwinnett, uh, um, just outside of Atlanta. And so Mike will go there. And again, working with younger guys, uh, Mike is very strong in his faith and uh, will live that out in a baseball setting. So guys that have been in Detroit and other places when they get discipled, they really get the opportunity then to go and share their faith and uh, spread it out uh, to other people. And then uh, here's a picture of two players. Uh, and uh, the players listed here, now you can tell we're going back a ways. My wife and I are pictured there. We don't look the same way today that we did back then. But the two players there are uh, on the right there is Tony Clark, and the next to him is Damian Easley. How many remember those guys? Okay. And uh, so Damian... Uh, just and their wives are there with them. Damian just got a uh, job as the uh, assistant hitting coach for the San Diego Padres. So wherever the Padres go now, he's traveling with a big league team and uh, is out uh, doing his thing. Two of his boys are involved in pro baseball in the minor leagues, and uh, two of his boys, those two boys, just got baptized uh, this past December. And so it's fun to see his family grow uh, in their walk and in their faith. And uh, Tony, Tony, uh, anyone know what Tony does? I may have mentioned it here once before. Tony is the executive director of the Players Association of Major League Baseball. So if you remember the name Donald Fear, that's whose job he has. And so Tony is very involved in baseball with all the players, the Players Association, and uh, is there sharing Christ uh, in a wonderful way. So I, I hope as you pray for our ministry and think about what God is doing in the game of baseball, understand it's not just like this year's team. It goes back years to people that have been reached for Christ and now in their worlds are reaching others for Christ uh, as well. One last picture I brought uh, to show you. Uh, this coming week, I will uh, fly to India and I'll teach at the Chennai Bible Institute. This will be my fourth opportunity to go there. And uh, this is a picture from the last time we were there. They'll have 175 men uh, in this room. And they're from all over India. Like every section of India will have pastors there. These are pastors from very rural settings. And uh, these pastors will come. And for a week, um, myself and another gentleman will uh, teach the Word of God to them. Uh, the man who heads this ministry up, his name is Mano Daniel. And Mono, what he does, he prints tracks up. They print millions of tracks every year. He gives them to people he meets that come through Chennai. Chennai's in the southern part of India. So like truck drivers, uh, business people that come through, and whoever he can get them to. And he has track distributors. They take those tracks back to their villages, and they distribute them. People come to faith in Christ. They get ready to start a church. They need a pastor. So you know who they look to for their pastor? The guy that gave them the track. And this guy may have like a 7th or 8th grade education. So four times a year, Mano brings those men into Chennai, houses them, feeds them, and takes them through the Bible Institute. If they do four courses, over the cor four courses a year for three years, so 12 uh, weeks, uh, they get a certificate and they're kind of like ordained. And they go back and pastor these churches, and Mono continues to build them. Now, here's what I love, folks. Mono calls these men. Here's the name he gives them. 
Leaders in Obscurity. Isn't that a great name? No one knows them. You know, you couldn't even find out where many of them live on a map. But they're leading people for Christ in these obscure places in India. So as you think of it, uh, uh, pray for us this uh, next week. We leave Thursday and be gone a good part of two weeks uh, doing ministry over there in India. So uh, that's just a little update of what we're doing and where we're at. And again, appreciate your thoughts and prayers for us. Now, back to uh, Thomas and uh, his Nike symbol. Um, <clears throat> that swoosh that we all see for Nike is a Bible word, okay? I'm not endorsing Nike uh, shoes necessarily today. I like them. Uh, I, I enjoy wearing them. But the symbol or the swoosh or the word Nike is a Bible word. And uh, I want you to uh, see here first, uh, this is where the swoosh came from. This is the Greek goddess of victory, a, uh, a depiction of her. And um, her name was Nike. And you see the wings that she has? Do you recognize the wings? That's the what? That's the swoosh, uh, where Nike got it. And uh, that word Nike uh, means to overcome. It means victory. Uh, it means to prevail. Or it means to conquer. And the Greeks depicted the goddess of victory with wings because here is what they felt. They felt, you know, you can never be sure of whether you're going to win or lose. You just don't know. In fact, it really is not up to you very much. It's just at the whim of the goddess of victory. And so victory was kind of fleeting like a bird. It might land on you or it might not. But wouldn't that be a tough way to live life? Man, am I going to win or lose today? Going into a battle, shoot, we don't know if we're going to win or lose. It's not up to us. It really doesn't matter much what we do. Or uh, how about uh, in an athletic contest? Some of you play ath uh, athletics, some of you coach. How would it be if, you know, guys, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. It's up to, it's up to the goddess of victory, whether she lands on us or not. That would be a miserable way to live life, wouldn't it? How about spiritually? If that's how, and some people go through life this way, well, the gods may be good to us or, or not today. We'll see what happens. Anyone remember the movie Forrest Gump? The little feather that floats in, okay, and they talk about, you know, is it fate or is it just by chance? Well, that's how the people in Jesus' day lived in the Greek culture. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe we'll be lucky, maybe we won't. And you know what the Bible teaches us when it comes to living in victory? It doesn't have to be a guessing game. There could be something that's definite about knowing that we're going to live a life of victory. And God uses in the Bible that Greek word Nike, which means to overcome or means victory or means to conquer or prevail uh, several places throughout the word. I want to look at one of them today. First uh, John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, or you can follow along as uh, we read up here on the screen. Uh, I'll go ahead and read right off the screen here. So it says this in 1 John 5, uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is a letter that John wrote. John was one of the apostles, one of the twelve. Uh, he uh, most believe he's the youngest of the twelve. Um, 
uh, it's likely that when he began following Jesus, he might have been as young as 15 or 16 years old. You know, sometimes we picture the apostles as these guys like in their 50s or 40s, uh, and it's really not true. They all probably started following Christ in their late teens or early 20s. And the youngest of the crew was John. John would be the youngest. He was a fisherman by trade. He would go on to live the longest. Uh, most people put his death around 90 to 95 A.D. He would write five books in the Bible, the Gospel of John. And as a younger guy of the 12 and a young, the youngest of the four Gospel writers, you know what he did? He said, yeah, I want to kind of present some stuff that maybe Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't present. And so when you read the Gospel of John, he covers more new material uh, than the other three. Uh, because we've heard the other three, hey, let me tell you some things I remember from my time with Christ. Uh, so he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote uh, the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, talking about future events. And then he wrote these three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Letters to Christians in certain localities uh, about their faith and their walk with Christ. So at the end of the first letter that he wrote, the longest of the three, 1 John 5, he says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So if I say I love God the Father, I have to be up and say I love Jesus. Because that's his child, that's his son. Uh, verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. Uh, this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. And then uh, verse 4. Uh, for everyone born of God overcomes. Now that's what we read in English. The Greek word there is the word Nike. It's right there. And, um, and uh, overcomes the world. This is the victory. Again, the word Nike that has overcome. Nike, again, the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so that's what I want to talk about today. How to have a victory, how to have a, a, an overcoming spirit that is not fleeting. It doesn't just come and go. We're not living lives like on a roller coaster. Well, I'm up today, but I'm down tomorrow. Uh, God says there's a way to live life in Christ that is one that has a pattern and a trend toward being victorious. Not perfect. There'll be issues in life. Don't doubt that. But you can have victory over those. And so that's what I want to look at today. It's just three truths from this passage about how to have a life that is uh, not fleeting. Victory can be a constant in our lives. And so here are the three thoughts uh, that I'd like to share with you today. The first is this. Uh, in, uh, in these verses here that we just read, we find out that victory is found only in Christ. You know, Jesus was pretty adamant. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through what? Except through me. I'm the only way to have that relationship with God the Father. In uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, 
It says, there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved except one name, and that is who? Jesus Christ. And so understand, uh, the Bible is pretty clear. Uh, Do you have a relationship with Christ or not? That is where victory begins, is knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Uh, I came to Christ uh, as a high school student from a totally non-church background. And I remember picking up a Bible for the very first time. I remember reading verses in it for the first time. Uh, We didn't go to church, good family, but we just didn't do that stuff. And, um, And I remember learning for the first time that uh, in my sin, I was lost and defeated. But that Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross 2,000 years ago, paid for my sin. And then when he rose from the dead, he was victorious over sin and over the devil and over death. And through a simple faith in him, I could have that victory in my life too. And so at the age of 16... In my bedroom, I invited Christ into my life. It's kind of like opening the door to someone you're inviting into your house. Lord, come into my life and save me. I believe you and you alone can. It's not Christ plus works. It's not Jesus plus being part of that church. Church is important. It's not a Jesus plus uh, giving so much money there or living this way. Those things happen. But it's Jesus Christ alone. That gives victory. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Boy, if you don't, talk to the person that brought you today afterwards. Uh, Talk to me. Talk to someone here. Uh, Grab that magazine. Read that back page where it explains from the Bible, here's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, he is uh, the only way to have constant victory. Victory is found only in him. Um, Maybe you're a golfer. I like to play golf. I have a chance to play many times uh, uh, to connect with ball players and things. In fact, had my wife and I not come up here uh, Friday, it was 50 degrees in Detroit Friday. I'd been out golfing uh, if I was down there. But uh, here's a golfer who is pretty famous, still playing, uh, uh, Bernhard Langer. How many uh, recognize Bernhard there? And what a great golfer, a German-born golfer. And uh, really uh, hit the scene big time in the early 80s. And like I said, still is playing. I think he's in his early 60s uh, age-wise right now. There he is with the green jacket on. And Langer won the Masters twice. Masters big uh, April golf tournament held every uh, August down in Georgia. And the first time he won it was 1985. And when he won it there, uh, he was not a Christian. He had grown up in church, but uh, did not have a personal relationship with Christ. And uh, he goes into the butler cabin after the tournament's over that Sunday afternoon, and he gets interviewed about his victory. And here's what he said. Um, He was asked about what he thought on the final uh, back nine on Sunday. And it was a real tight competition. He was playing great golf, but so were some other guys. So here's what he said. He said, I looked up for the first time after nine holes, and I thought I was playing well. 
And I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain here, but here's what he said. But Jesus Christ, Curtis Strange, was four shots ahead. And he took the Lord's name in vain on national TV. Man, he got letters. People wrote in, said, why are you doing that? And you took the Lord's name in vain and you're swearing. And uh, he said this, Longer, said, I was not a Christian at the time. It was a powerful expression and a lot of people used it. A few weeks later, I had, a, I had much fan mail, well, anti-fan mail, uh, that said I had done, that I, that why was I swearing on national TV to be using Jesus' name in vain? Longer's a pretty deliberate guy. When he goes out to practice, he'll put like 20 clubs in his bag, figure out which ones he wants to use for that tournament. can only use 14. And, uh, and he really is a thinker. And so when he got this and this reaction, it got him to thinking. He began to ask some other players on tour about why are people upset. He began to examine his own faith. He, he got to a Bible study and started uh, looking in the Word of God with other golfers. And about three months later, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He said this. He said, I, I thought I was doing all the right things, uh, uh, Longer said, who grew up in a church. Uh, I was taught to be a good person. And uh, if you did good things, God will say, you've been good enough and you can go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. What's our verse say? Jesus Christ is the only way to victory. So Longer put his faith in Christ. Fast forward from 1985 to 1993. Guess what happened in 1993? He wins the Masters for a second time. And the day that he wins it, that Sunday, happens to be Easter Sunday. So back into the butler cabin. Back to a national interview. You know the first thing he said? He said, before we do anything, I want to give praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How about that? He says this. He says, he's probably the only person ever to use the name of Jesus twice in the butler cabin. Once in vain and once as a praise. Folks, what about you? Have you uh, come to the place, as we sang earlier, of being able to praise Christ as your Savior because you have found victory in Him? I hope you have. There is no greater joy and victory in life than a relationship with Christ. I hope you have that today. The second thing I learned in this passage about victory is that victory in Christ, it's evident. Uh, another word we could use is it's measurable. You can measure it. You can see it in the lives of others. And if you or if I claim to have victory in Christ, knowing Him as our Savior, there ought to be some evidences to that. If I say it, it ought to show some in my life. And here in our passage, uh, in verse 1 and 2, it talked about one of those evidences is a love for fellow believers. There's a genuine care about other Christians and that we grow together in our walk. Uh, one of the things I love about doing chapel with the Tigers is when we gather on Sunday morning at the ballpark for chapel, <coughs> we'll have guys uh, that are uh, Caucasian guys from the United States. Uh, we'll have Latino guys from the Dominican, Venezuela, wherever. 
uh, we'll have uh, African-American guys. And uh, all from different races, backgrounds, cultures. Uh, we'll have different ages. Some retired guys around the team come to chapel with us. Uh, guys like uh, Willie Horton, uh, Jim Price, uh, and Al Kaline. Those are older guys hanging out with guys that are 19, 20, 21. Uh, we'll have guys that are making huge amounts of money. We'll have some clubhouse kids in there that aren't making much at all. And we gather together, there's a bond because of Christ. That's what the bond is. This offseason, uh, we have 18 guys on a group text from the Tigers. And we're reading through the book of Psalms together. Uh, we are in Psalm 66 today. So all 18 of us are reading that same psalm on our own. And then one guy is assigned a day where it's that guy's day to text out a little summary about that psalm. And then other guys can respond if they want to. Two of the guys on that group text are two guys that the Tigers signed this offseason. I've not even met them yet, other than by text. And, uh, and you know what? They're part of that group. Now, what causes someone to say, I want to be part of that, or we want you to be part of that? It's because of a bond in Christ. Years ago, Carl and I had the chance to go down to uh, Costa Rica on a missions trip. And uh, on one night, they, uh, they took the couples that were there in Costa Rica on this mission trip, and they sent us out into uh, people's homes. And we went to a home of a couple with several kids, and they spoke no English. And we spoke no Spanish. This would be great. <laughs> and there we are in this home and kind of looking at each other, you know. What do you do? You know what we wound up doing? It was so cool. We got out our English Bibles. They got out their Spanish Bibles. We could find the same verses together in the Bible. And we read the Bible together that night. And it was so wonderful to have that bond with people who we would not normally connect with, but the connection was what? Christ. Folks, a genuine love for other believers. And that's what this passage teaches us. There's a love for the other children of God. Everyone won't be your best friend, but there's a genuine love that's there. And so victory is evident. You can measure it. Boy, if you say you're a follower of Christ, there's a love and a bond that comes in a church community and it, within a Christian community. And then a second one that we learn there as far as uh, an evidence or something you can measure uh, is our obedience. It says in this passage, uh, this is love for God to obey his commands. His commands are not burdensome. You know it is fair to judge others in their obedience to God's word. We live in a culture that says, well, don't judge me. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, the Bible says don't judge motives. I get that. But the Bible does say, hey, you will know a tree by its what? Fruit. And one of the fruits in a Christian's life is a life that is in obedience to God's word. Not perfect. We're all going to mess up. I get it. But we have a desire to say, you know, I want to do what the Word of God says. And so for me, after I came to faith in Christ, uh, as I'm reading through the Bible, uh, I, I learned, you know, a Christian ought to get baptized. 
So I found a place, a church, where I was able to be baptized. For me, when I came to Christ, I didn't understand where church fit in. But after reading some in the Bible, I said, oh, church is an important part. I've got to get involved in the church. Or being a steward of the things God has given to us. And uh, loving others and sharing his word with others and sharing my faith with others. Those are all things that God's word talks about. And someone who says, I want to live victorious, you can see and measure the desire to obey his commands. Jesus said, my commands aren't burdensome. It's not going to wear you out. In fact, they're a joy to pursue and to follow. And so we can see victory in a Christian's life. Again, not being perfect, but someone who is making the effort. Someone who is desiring to live out his or her faith in Christ. So victory uh, is measurable. It's evident in a Christian's life. And then here's the third point I want to share with you. Victory is lasting. You know, we get uh, on little uh, 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 crazes, don't we? Well, I'm into this right now. And man, this is really exciting and bringing joy to my life. But pretty soon that little phase uh, disappears. You know, in Christ, it is a permanent relationship. And it is one that is lasting and does not fail. Look what it says uh, in verse 5. Who is he that overcomes or Nike prevails, conquers in this world? Only he who believes that Jesus Christ uh, is the Son of God. Folks, it is a lasting relationship with Christ that gives victory in this life, however long we're on this earth, and then for eternity in heaven. And that's the kind of victory I want, uh, is that relationship with Christ that conquers all. Uh, what about you? Do you have that? Do you have the confidence that heaven is your home one day? When death comes to you, it comes to all of us, I'll be victorious in that moment because my faith uh, is in Jesus Christ. There was a wonderful movie that came out in the early 80s. In fact, it won the Academy Award for Best Picture of the Year in 1981. Anyone remember what movie won in 1981? Chariots of Fire won. Uh, true story. Uh, the movie Chariots of Fire. If you don't know that movie, if you've never seen it, I really encourage you to get it. It's a wonderful true story about a Scottish athlete named Eric Little. He was a runner, okay? And um, he'd grown up in China. His parents were missionaries. But then when he got of school age, he went back to Scotland to go to school. Went to Edinburgh College, uh, was a runner. I think he played rugby. And in 1924, he represented Great Britain at the Olympic Games in Paris. And the story revolves around him not running in a race that he was really great at because it was going to be held on a Sunday. And his faith for him said, I don't want to do that on a Sunday. And how he went on to compete in other areas and so forth. I don't want to ruin the movie for those that may not have seen it and would watch it. Uh, and so it chronicles his story and the story of another athlete as well. One of the things you see in that film, and if you read about his life, he and other Scottish athletes, this is 1924, made a commitment that they wanted to use their platform as an athlete to share their faith in Christ. And he did that throughout his uh, athletic career. Um, he was victorious as an athlete. 
And he used that platform to share how he was victorious in his relationship with Christ as well. What a great story. But the story doesn't end there. In fact, I wish they would make a second movie. Because a year later, in 1925, to the... Uh, dismay of Scotland. Uh, He's called Scotland's greatest athlete even to this day. To the dismay of Scotland, he went back to China as a missionary. And from 1925 until the uh, outbreak of World War II, 1940-1941, he served in that mission. When the war broke out, uh, he and others were taken and put in an internment camp. Japanese came, conquered uh, China, put him in an internment camp. And he would live the next three to four years a prisoner in that camp. Uh, And he he would get a brain tumor. And shortly before World War II ended, he died in that prison camp of a brain tumor. You know what people say? As great as his victories were in the athletic arena, The way he lived his life in humility and loving and serving others as a missionary and then as a prisoner probably spoke greater volumes of his victory in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? It's easy to say, hey, I'm victorious in Christ when we're on a high, when things are going great in life. But folks, you know what? For the Christian... That same victory in Christ is there for us, even when we go through the tough times. And I hope today uh, you have that type of victory in your life. That's the, the victory I want to live in, is a victory that says, you know, I know Christ is my Savior. He's the only one that can give that type of victory. I'm living it out in my life each day, and regardless of what happens, uh, that's the victory I've got. When I see Nike symbols, uh, not every time, But often, I try to think of that passage right there. That's the type of victory I want in my life. We get so consumed many times by what we wear. And for some, wearing Nike, you know, hey, look, I got got the new Nikes. And uh, don't, kids, don't go to your parents and say, hey, Dad, you heard that guy talk. Nike's a Bible word. Now buy me those $250 shoes, okay? Um, We see that symbol and we want it so much, but we ought to have a greater desire to want this victory that First John talks about, that the Bible talks about, that is found only in Jesus Christ. Father, thanks so much for your word. Uh, thank you that uh, we can live lives of victory and be victorious, be overcomers in Jesus Christ and through him. I pray if there's a person here today who uh, does not know Christ as his or her Savior, that uh, they would uh, today, even as I talk right now or after the service, come to the place of inviting Christ into his or her life and beginning that life in, uh, uh, here on earth as well as in eternity that is victorious, that uh, is an overcomer of this world and of the things of it through Jesus Christ and through him alone. We thank and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.